This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. Yeah. It's raining. They don't care. <laughs> These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash a check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Hello and welcome back to the QB11 show presented by Scoop Duck for Wednesday, August 9th, 2023. I am joined today by Justin Hopkins from Scoop Duck. Hop, we have not had you on since uh, the Big Ten news broke. So let's start there. But first, welcome. Welcome back to the show. Always happy to have you. Uh, make sure to check out Hop over on ScoopDuck.com. Yeah, no, good job putting out some content and some, I know people have been eating them up and um, I guess for me, I'm not a huge podcast person. I understand why they exist and that people enjoy them, but I, I personally don't tune into them. So for me, I, I wouldn't be able to listen to four or five, but I understand people have a commute and they, they love the work that you got, that you're doing, I guess, specifically, cause you're kind of the constant in all of them. It's, it's you and sometimes QB 11, sometimes Hitler day, uh, me, you know, whatever. So good work. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely been uh been we had we I think we got some grief on the, the message boards from from some of uh some of the subscribers over there that we hadn't put out a podcast in a couple weeks in July and which is very true. I think we had about a two week gap uh, between, but I think we've put out five six now since then. So uh, I think we made up for it. Uh and it was also kind of the dog days of summer. So uh I understand uh, yeah, people I it, it's very humbling when people are coming at me on Twitter going like, when are you going to give me more content? So, and you know how that feels, obviously you've been running a site for a long, long time and, and people do that to you too on the site. So it's, it's, you feel the pressure, but you also feel humbled by the fact that people like what you're doing and want to hear more of it or read more of it and, and are, are anxious to get it. So I, I'm very, very blessed that, that people feel like I'm worth listening to, which is, when I listen to myself, it's rather strange, <laughs> but I'll take it. And I think, I thank them all. Well, it makes kind of makes you feel like you're not wasting your time, right? You're doing something and it's getting, you know, people are enjoying it. So it makes it uh, obviously more rewarding for sure. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, with that being said, let's get into it here. Uh, you know, obviously since I had, since we last had you on, on the podcast, you know, the news has broke and Oregon is officially uh, going to be a member of the big 10 conference along with Washington in the 20 starting in the 2024 football season. So, you know, it'll, it'll happen officially, I think next August 1st. So about a year from now, uh, the Pac-12 stickers and banners and signs and everything else come down and every, and all the big 10 stuff will go up, you know, maybe just kind of walk us through your initial impressions, you know, just 
as a fan of the University of Oregon athletics and the University of Oregon football program, you know, we're going to get into recruiting in the next segment, but um, you know, just as a fan of the team and, and kind of where things are at, what were your initial reactions and, and what do you feel about, how do you feel about this and, and what do you think? Give me your thoughts. Well, I know you and I briefly talked about this off air, but I mean, in today's world of college football, you know, you want to remain aligned. You want to have, um, you know, you want to have those longstanding relationships. I love a great college football rivalry as much as anyone else. I mean, as much as you hate Washington, it's great to have them there because that makes such a great rivalry. And that's what college football is about. And, you know, the Pac-12, like other conferences, has has had some tremendous rivalries. Oregon, Washington's one of them. You know, Oregon and USC have been in there at times. You know, obviously there's the Ducks and the Beavers, the Apple Cup, um, you know, Arizona, Arizona State. Just so many great rivalries across the conference. And, you know, it has been a great conference. But we're in a new era of college football where I do appreciate the Pac-12. I will miss having that conference, I will miss, you know, all of those things about it. But this is about survivalism. Oregon and Washington and Arizona and Arizona State, Colorado, everybody needed to make the best decision, you know, for the longevity of their institution. Okay, let's, people can pinpoint to greed or whatever the case might be. But, you know, if these institutions aren't generating the revenue they need, it's not most likely football that really gets punished the most. It's the other sports. And so now you start talking about these college athletes. And I know that there's a lot of sympathy for baseball players or softball players or soccer players or track and field or whatever sport that you, that is, you know, non-football that you follow having to travel more and do this and that I'd argue, what would you do without your sport there at all? You know? So, um, you know, you, you need to look at this from a survival standpoint um, I, I felt, I felt for a long time that Oregon was going to get into the big 10. I, I, I mean, unless, you know, literally Oregon handled it the best way possible. They gave George Klebkoff and the pack as much time as possible to come up with a deal that, you know, would, would keep the pack 12 in place. And I don't fault them for giving them that time. There was no, it didn't hurt the big Ten's feelings. It wasn't like they were going anywhere. It's not like they were going to say, Oh, you're waiting on the pack. We're not, you know, we're not going to make you an offer now. I think everybody did what they could to kind of give this thing some time and they gave it a lot of time. I mean, you, you, I mean, essentially you had a year on the clock to try and make something work. And I understand there wasn't a lot to work with there, but you were given ample time. And at the end of the day, you know, Oregon needed to make the best decisions for themselves. And just kind of lastly here, I know I said this already on, on scoop duck on the site, but, I understand that this conference realignment and an Oregon getting into the big wasn't, you know, Rob Mullins doing it's above his pay grade, but he's certainly a part of it, right? He was certainly, you know, active in it and he certainly handled it, um, you know, kind of from a communication standpoint at Oregon very well, didn't get out and say a lot um, in either direction. You know, I think they voiced a desire to remain in the pack, but not like, Hey, we're going to make sure we hold this thing together if you look at the last couple of weeks here, you know, Rob Mullins has been involved with basically getting Dan Lanning on probably the best contract he could have gotten, you know, for Oregon, basically, yes, you upped his pay, which was the most aggressive thing we've seen Rob Mullins do at Oregon with a head coach of football. 
uh, but also on the back end, getting that significant buyout. And then you couple that with, okay, we've got our head coach in place, likely for the long term. Now we've got a great conference affiliation for the longevity of this program. And, you know, I know I kind of said this, but to expand on it, the, the, the school, the University of Oregon and its athletic programs is in the best spot that it's probably ever been in ever as an institution. And, and of course, I love, you know, Rich Brooks and I love, you know, those guys, you know, um, Mike Bellotti and I love all that tradition, everything they've done. But this is that push into big boy football. This is that push into you're not a blue blood today. You're not a blue blood tomorrow just because you joined the big. But the foundation is there that you're in a premier conference with a head coach in place that looks like he's going to be here for a while. And I'll back it up. The reason Dan Lanning felt comfortable signing that contract that was very aggressive on his end as well is the fact that it's clear Rob Mullins, Phil Knight, whoever showed a sincere, you know, dedication towards building the program. And that means, you know, a sal uh, assistant salary pool. Um, you know, that means money for athletics, money for recruiting, you know, use of jets to make those those trips, all those things that Georgia and Alabama do. They've certainly made that at Oregon for Dan Lanning, which made him feel comfortable staying here. So, again, I give I give the institution, Rob Bolins, everybody there a lot of credit because this just put Oregon into the best situation possible for its longevity. Yeah, and I think you know a lot of people point to that landing contract as potentially a bellwether moment in in this Big Ten realignment coming. Right? Would Oregon have made that investment without? I mean, it's it, you know the thing the thing you can say about it is that is a Big Ten SEC contract, right? Um, outside of like you know obviously USC um, being able to do what they do with Lincoln Riley, like that's because it's it's USC. Right. Uh, which which has, you know, significantly more resources outside of the media deal and even than Oregon, you know, potentially does on a on a regularized basis. So um, and they also were were going to pry away one of the premier coaches in the sport from another team, Oklahoma, which also has significant resources. So, you know, it the fact that that contract comes out there, it, it certainly maybe 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 depending on who you believe this was this was going to happen. Um, or likely to happen, depending on who you believe it almost didn't happen at the last minute. I, I don't know. I don't really care. It's happened now. Um, and I agree where we're, this is where the program and the institution, the athletics, all of the athletics of Oregon. And, and, you know, to your point about the travel concerns, and I'm not, I'm not dismissing or poo-pooing any of those things for, for the other sports. Um, you know, I kind of went through sport by sport and looked at how they, how they schedule and travel now. And, and honestly, the way baseball and softball work is you fly somewhere. Well, let's just use this year as an example. The team flies to Arizona on a Friday. They play a game Friday. They play a game Saturday. They play a game Sunday, and they fly home Sunday. Now, if they're in the Big Ten, they're flying to Indiana on a Friday, playing three games and flying home on Sunday. Like, it's really not that big of a difference from the athlete. I mean, you're on a plane for an extra couple hours. I'm not, and again, I don't want to downplay that too much, but it is logistically, it's not like they're away from, from Oregon for a longer period of time, or the, you know, they're away from class for a longer period of time. They're on a plane for a couple extra hours. I, I get the concern about their families. That that's the more legitimate one, right? Like their families thought they were, you know, going to be able to watch them play more games because they're close by and now they're not. And I, I understand that. And I don't want to down, I don't want to denigrate that, you know, and you go through some of the other sports like, 
track and acro and and some of those and and they already nothing's really going to change about their schedule at all the way those the way those sports work is they really don't have that many meets to begin with um, and they're all over the country already so uh, there's really no travel impact there the three sports that i look at as being and soccer is basically kind of like a one a one game a week sport like football so um, the, the three sports that I think are the most impacted from a logistics and travel standpoint are, are men's and women's basketball and women's volleyball because they play multiple games per week uh, right. in different locations. And so I do I do think that something will have to be figured out there, you know, for those sports, you know, creative creative scheduling, pod scheduling. Do you do, um, you know, for teams coming out west, do you do a four game road trip, right, where you, you play the L.A. schools? you lay over, you know, you do some sort of, uh, you know, holdover, you know, for the week, and then you play the, the Northwest schools or vice versa. Right. And if, and for those teams going out East, you do, you do a trip to Indiana to play two games and then you hold over for the week and do your classes online and then play two more games against, you know, Ohio state and Penn state and then fly home. I, I, I think there's a things, the big 10 conference, who does care about academics and the, the student athlete balance. I mean, as much as any conference can in, in the new world of college sports, right. I do think those are things that they will, they will continue to work on. They probably won't have it all figured out year one, but I think that they will, will continue to, to try to improve that experience over time, particularly for those three sports who are going to be at Oregon, who are going to be most impacted by it. Yeah. And I guess to expand on that as well, at least from my own thoughts, I I do think that eventually Cal and Stanford will get in. And maybe to your point, that adds two more schools out West, you know, that you, do, you then don't have to travel as much for. But again, you know, like you said, a, a, a plane flight from Eugene to, to San Francisco. I mean, if you can get a direct one, that's great. But if you can't, you're, you know, you're going up to, to, Portland or Seattle and then down. And next thing you know, it's a five hour trip. You know, it's kind of the same as, as, as getting out to the Midwest a lot of times um, as well. So, I mean, I do a fair amount of travel from here. I think you do too. It's there, there's not an abundance of great flights, you know, coming from Oregon that are, that are nonstop. So yeah, you're, you're, you know, your travel, if you're flying on an airplane is probably only impacted by a couple hours at, at most. I guess I'll disagree with you a little bit on Cal and Stanford. I, I don't think that's inevitable that they will get into the Big Ten. Um, I think it's more, I would think that it's going to really depend, right? If the, if the Big Ten is able to work out these logistical things and, and make them smooth over over the next three to four to five years or during the, the length of their current contract, then I don't think, I don't think those teams get in. If it, if it becomes hugely problematic for either the West coast schools or the, the legacy, you know, Midwest East coast, big 10 schools, then that's where I think they might look to add them in the next contract, just, just to smooth over those issues if they haven't been able to do so over the intervening five years. So I think it's more of a, let's see what happens and then we can reevaluate situation, but yeah, we'll never, you know, we can agree to disagree and we're just making a guess here. Yeah, I think it's fair. I mean, I think that's fair. And, and I mean, look, it took, you know, USC and UCLA made the move and it took a year to get Oregon and Washington. So I don't think we're on the cusp of, you know, Cal and Stanford going tomorrow by any means. And, and actually, you know, I'm just, I'm kind of really curious. Obviously you and I probably don't have quite as much invested in it 
at this point moving forward, but I'm really interested to see how the rest of call, uh, conference realignment takes shape, um, not just in the pack, but nationally, because, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think these were just the first three or four moves, if you will, that are going to be part of quite a few moves over the next two years. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm certainly not following it with the same amount of fervor and uh, intensity that I have been, you know, for a while now for the last year, but now that Oregon is, has, has a known and safe landing spot, but I am, I am following it just cause I'm, I'm interested in the sport and I'm interested in seeing where those four schools land and, and, or where, or who joins them in, in a reconstituted pack. So I definitely, it definitely will be interesting to watch play out and, they, there's I've talked about this a lot on spaces and on Twitter and stuff is like I don't there are inherent advantages to the pack conference living at least in the short term it's an it has autonomy status which is legislatively given by the d1 council right so that doesn't mean an auto bid that I'm not talking about that I'm talking about there are there are things that the pac 12 and the other four autonomous conferences are allowed to do in a rulemaking sense that the other conferences aren't, they have more autonomy to make their own rules. So that has, that has some sort of both financial and non-financial value to it. Beyond that, um, they have, they have a significant amount of NCAA tournament credits built up um, that now all the departing teams relinquish their shares in. So the four, the four legacy teams, and as well as anyone who joins, you know, gets to share those credits in those rollouts six years. So they'll decrease every year as the credits roll off the back end. But you know, it's essentially about sixteen million in year one, not per team total. Um, you know, and then that kind of decreases down over a five-year period, right? But but that's not for you know, you, you compare that to a Mountain West Conference that whose media deal is four million dollars per year per team, like sixteen million dollars total. You divide that eight ways that's two million bucks a year i mean that's that's a significant amount of money for a team that's been operating on a mountain west budget uh, beyond that they also have guaranteed cfp base base payouts of about uh, uh you know four million bucks a school four to five million bucks a school per year you know so that's you know times out by four that's another that's another 16 million a year so now you're up to 32 million a year in revenue uh, and then you add, you know, your your CFP New York Six participation money, which is either four to six million dollars per year. Um, and so now you're now you're talking you're into the thirty six to thirty eight million dollars a year range, and then a couple million dollars a year in your other bowl contracts and stuff. And the CFP contract and the bowl contracts will run through twenty five. So the twenty four season and the twenty five season, the Pac twelve would has those contracts. So you're you know you're let's just say round number forty million dollars a year in in guaranteed revenue for the two-year horizon you know after the other eight schools leave well if you have an eight-team conference that's five million bucks a year that's real money for a mountain west or an aac or whatever other school you might want to entice to come over Definitely. or join or merge or something like that right and that's on top of whatever media deal they're they're able to you know come come up with yeah no, there's there's certainly, you know, an opportunity for the pack to remain, um, but I would say they're going to have to obviously be very aggressive, uh, and you know, immediately. And uh, yep. yeah, I don't know. It'll. <laughs> it, it. I mean, I I still think you can you can you know scrummage a, a pretty good conference. 
um, you know, if you can peel away some of those Mountain West and and maybe some of those AAC guys and and heck, who knows, maybe some of the even mid tier, mid level ACC guys, you you kind of do some you know, pod situation like the big tens doing, you know, I don't, I don't know. There's certainly, it seems as though there's an Avenue there. It's almost one of those things like you, you never know until you ask, right? <laughs> yeah. You, you see who's interested and you start, you know, pulling together some money and, 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 you know, talking with media partners and, and seeing what you can field together. And you just, you know, you might be surprised at what you can scrummage together. I think in the end. Yeah, no, absolutely. So we'll watch that play out. Uh, why don't we take a quick break, and then after that, we will uh, we'll flip over to recruiting. All right, we are back with Justin Hopkins from ScoopDuck.com, and we're going to talk some recruiting now. You know, kind of want to break this up into two kind of segments here, Hop. Let's let's first talk about the the move to the Big Ten. What is the impact of this move to Oregon? Um, on recruiting and and both in the 2024 class as well as in you know the future classes 25 26 and beyond so like let's dig into that a little bit how do you see this I, to my mind like it can't hurt right there's no i don't think it hurts recruiting but how much can it help oregon's recruiting in, in this class let's start with this class what do you think it does for the 24 class if anything you know i think i think initially i think the most important thing once you've gone and recruited um, a class and, and these guys have committed, obviously your top priority is keeping them committed. And so, you know, I believe that for the first time really in the last 30 days, I started kind of hearing that, you know, the uncertainty was starting to become a problem. Okay. It wasn't the sole reason. It's not like, Hey, I'm not going to Oregon because they're not in the big 10, but it was certainly something that was giving, you know, certain targets pause. And to me, if if that's the case and you've got some high profile recruits uh, that are committed, you know, I feel like, you know, here we are in August. If you're still with that uncertainty in December, I think it opens the door even more for people to potentially poach your commits. Right. And you've got guys all over the country. Oregon's got, you know, guys from from Big Ten country already, if you will. So. I think in terms of the 2024, uh, does it mean they go out and sign a, a top three class? I don't think it means that. Okay. So that's, 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 you know, that's pretty aggressive, but I do think giving them the ability to keep the current class in place is key. And I think it certainly helps with the guys you've already built relationships with. And I, I know we can get into some of those names, uh, you know, in the next segment here, but being able to, now not have that negatively recruited because we all know USC hung that over Oregon's head for last year. I mean, it was widely reported. It's widely reported how badly USC didn't want Oregon in the big 10 and that blew up overnight. So, you know, now you don't really have that ammunition. If you're USC, you're going to need to come up with something else. You know, if Oregon can't win football games for any reason, I guess that's your new ammunition, but we'll have to see how that goes for the season. So, yeah, impact on recruiting, it doesn't take this from a, a, a number 12 ranked class to a number three class. I don't believe that, but it certainly keeps the class committed that they have now. And, you know, several of the names, I'll just name a couple, but you've got Aiden Breland and, and Brandon Baker. You know, those are a couple of guys that immediately come to mind. Oregon has good relationships with that they'd like to sign. You know, those those two guys right there, this is no longer kind of that cloud of doubt. So I think it'll have a bigger impact on the, you know, on the 2025 class and beyond. 
And let's be fair, if you're in this Western footprint, we can no longer call it the, the Pac-12, but if you're in this Western footprint, you know, and if, if you're Oregon going, a, going up against Utah or ASU or Arizona, you know, you're, in a, you're a Big Ten school and they're a Big 12 school, you know, you certainly have a little something on them. I don't know that it would ever be enough to make a kid change his mind completely, but it certainly gives you a little bit more power than you've had um, if you're Dan Lanning so far at Oregon. So that's yeah, what and I you already had a you already had a pretty significant leg up on most of those schools in recruiting anyway. Um, obviously, to me, it just it just solidifies even more so that in the in the Western footprint it's already been USC versus Oregon and it's only going to be more so USC versus Oregon. Well, and, and a perfect example to kind of, you know, get away from the emotional part of this is that when Texas A&M first made the move to the SEC, that was everything they threw out in the state of Texas. We're SEC, we're SEC, you know, and at the time Texas couldn't say that and that, you know, no other institution uh, in that state could say that. So, I know in particular in that case, Texas A&M really pushed the SEC envelope when they first made that move um, with Texas-based recruits. So not that you could necessarily do that as Oregon because obviously you've got USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington in there. Um, and for the most part, your main competition has been USC for most recruits in this footprint. But it will certainly be you know, another another feather in the cap for Dan Lanning in Oregon not to have, it's an obstacle they don't have to overcome. How about that? Yeah. I mean, it feels like even in the 23 class, there was a couple of guys that, that Oregon might've got that slipped away because of the, of the, you're not, you're not in the big uh, or the sec, you know, piece of it, you know, and, 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 and maybe even more so just that we don't know where you're going to be and what TV net you're going to be. And I think it feels like there was a couple of those in the 23 class. And, and maybe there was one or two that that impacted in this class, in the 24 class that have made a decision to go somewhere else. Um, you know, so it's, it's not, well, to your point, I don't think it's like, it's not like we're all of a sudden, like, let's not be, let's not be Washington homers right we're not going to flip 10 guys in the rest of this class because we're now in the big 10 like that that's like just put that aside it, you know is there one or two that we've already continued to recruit like all along the way that have committed elsewhere that we might have another angle um you know to to, to sell them on that we already were trying to sell them you know anyway right it's not like we're going back and saying hey, i know we haven't talked to you in three months but now we're in the big you know are you interested in talking to us again we're talking about guys that oregon never stopped recruiting um yeah. even when they committed elsewhere and now either either you put to rest the uncertainty of what where your games are going to be able to be watched and what conference you're going to be in and what how relevant you're going to be on the national landscape that now you just say, Hey, you know, we've been talking every day. Now we got this, uh, this out of the way, like, let's, uh, you know, like, where do we want to go from here? So I, again, I, I'm not saying we're going to, we're going to flip a bunch of guys, but you know, the door, the door opens a little wider, the crack opens a little wider for one or two. Well, I think like I'll use, for example, you know, linebacker commit Kamar Matuti, you know, he was essentially, I know that, you know, I know that Washington fans don't want to hear this, but he was essentially down to Oregon and Michigan State when he made his decision to commit. I mean, to Oregon. he said as much in, yeah. <laughs> in his post-commitment interview that those were the two finalists and, and, and it wasn't even particularly third wasn't even really close. And, and I and I think, you know, to my point there, I think Michigan State was probably, you know, largely in it 
Um, you know, obviously they can recruit. It's a great school, but I think, you know, their affiliation with the Big Ten was probably one of their bigger selling points and and probably a really good attraction for Matuti, you know, to know that he would be on a, on a you know, a televised weekly on a national broadcast of some of some sort. So I, I think that, you know, again, they had a relationship and I think they were able to use that. But, you know, this will probably help Oregon in cases like that moving forward for sure. Yeah. All right. So let's, um, I think we've covered that. Let's flip over a little bit. You know, I, I said this to you off the air before we started recording and, and I'm sure if I'm feeling this way, I'm sure there's other Oregon fans feeling this way as well Is you know, with all of the realignment stuff and all the craziness that's going on, like what also has been happening over the last few weeks is there's been several commitments, you know, you know, one or two to Oregon, as well as some some guys that were on Oregon's board that have made their commitments elsewhere. Obviously, Nate Frazier going to Georgia had been kind of expected for the last several weeks, but it's official. A um, couple other ones, you know, Oregon picked up a third tight end in the class um, just a few days ago. So let's let's kind of reset the board. And obviously, we've got 21 commits in the class right now. Um, but so let's talk about who's who's kind of on Oregon's board as far as, uh, you know, primary targets for the rest of this class. Sure. And I'll just do this here. I'll, I'll probably redo it, um, you know, on the site. But I, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I found at least uh, folks that have, have told me as such, and, and, and I reference it a ton myself as when I do the, the J-Hops Ultimate 25, right? It, it kind of simplifies things and it, it makes it easy to kind of keep track of the names. Of course, it, it changes. There's, there's guys that commit, like you said, to Oregon or, or other schools or, or, you know, Oregon has a change of heart and decides not to pursue them. Um, realistically, as I look at my latest version of the J-Hops Ultimate 25, which is, you know, on the site and everything, you know, I did that less than a month ago. So kind of going down it, you know, just I'll kind of go down the list. It'll make it easier. And, and for, for folks listening, not to have to go all over the board, you know, quarterback, you know, the last time I did this, you know, Michael Van Buren and Moga had committed and I'd said as much Oregon was done. So obviously there's nobody really to track there. Um, you know, Oregon has a commitment from Dink Riggs, Dequan Riggs uh, at running back. They were recruiting Jason Brown and Nate Frazier up until yesterday. Obviously Frazier decided to commit to Georgia so that leaves Jason Brown. Um, I, I think that's a guy Oregon would take a commitment from um, and that they like. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's coming. It sounds like the latest intel suggests that he's looking at Oregon and Michigan State. So maybe as I referenced that Kamar Matuti um, recruitment just a moment ago, you've got Oregon and Michigan State as the two. Obviously, this is a West Coast kid almost in your backyard you wonder how much of the, you know, Big Ten uncertainty for Oregon was playing a factor there. So maybe that's kind of the key that pushes it into Oregon's favor with Jason Brown. So just something to note. Again, you and I aren't standing here saying, you know, Oregon's going to flip everybody, but that might be that might be a case where it's very applicable for sure. Um, you've got at wide receiver, the only two names I had in there was Jeremiah McClellan and Gatlin Bear. Of course, Gatlin Bear committed to Boise State uh, yesterday or day before. can't remember. It was in the last two days. Uh, anyways, huge get for Andy Avalos at Boise State, so we crossed his name off the list. Well, I mean, it, assuming he shows up in 2026, that's a long time away. Oh, yeah. 
No, you're right, and that's why I, I don't think you or I were. It's a ever... paper get. It's a huge paper get for now. Yeah, and neither of us were like this is a huge must get for that reason alone. Like if he was 2024, we would have yeah. both considered him a huge get because he's, he's. And I get, and I, I think, and I don't know as much as you do about this job, but I, I don't know how hard Oregon was pushing for him in in the last several months. It doesn't like I never got that sense that he was like. Maybe I'm wrong, but I never got the sense that that Oregon was like really pushing for him for his commitment over the last couple of months, but maybe, maybe he just was, maybe it's the other way around and maybe he, he, he soured on, on or, or not soured, but you know, was looking other way, other directions. Yeah. I actually do think this is one of the rare cases that, you know, I guess I shouldn't say rare case, but it is a semi rare case. I do think they were pushing fairly hard. I think he, he just kind of had his sights set on Michigan and Boise state. Those were the final two in the end. Um, whether it be relationships or, or certain elements, it just seemed to be that those two had a little something that Oregon didn't. And that happens. You know what I mean? It's okay. It's, yeah. it's okay to say that they, they couldn't, they Almost. can't sign everybody. Right. <laughs> yep. Um, yep. You know, McClellan makes his decision soon. You know, Oregon. That, has so to, that, uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just saying Oregon has three receivers committed currently and signed a pretty good class last year. So, you know, I don't know that they te- technically need one more, but they would certainly take McClellan, and I don't see a real reason to expand the board beyond that at this time if they don't get him. Yeah, I kind of with you there. I think it's like McClellan or or you know hold your powder, right? You know, use it at another position or next year or something. I, I do wonder is McClellan a guy where the big move might actually have a, at least a small impact on? Him? He's obviously from the Midwest. Um, you know, being able. Being able to for Oregon be able to say because I think distance was was a big factor in his recruitment more than more than maybe some others and Oregon be able to say hey we're going to play a lot of a lot of road games now where your family can can you know drive to the game or hop on a short flight or whatever is do you think that's something is this a recruit a recruit that that might might tip the scales for a little yeah I think it certainly helps this is one that you check the box that it definitely helps on because like you said. You know, the distance will still be there to a degree, but I, I guess I, without looking at a map, I got to assume the distance from Missouri to Oregon, Missouri to Ohio State or Columbus is is probably relatively fair. You know, it's probably somewhat close. And, you know, like you said, now having the opportunity to play, um, you know, games at home because you're a part of the big would, would be a factor that's certainly going to help Oregon. I would I would guess, would, I, I'm not looking at the rest of the, the list yet, but I would guess that this is probably – you know, one of the guys uh, along with Jason Brown, that this is going to be the biggest impact for 2024 on uh, because of the reasons you mentioned there. Yeah, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to, de- I didn't mean to derail you. I just, I thought that McClellan, when we got to announce the big McClellan was the first recruit I thought of as, as where this might, you know, obviously, you know, Iowa's fairly close. Nebraska's fairly close. The Illinois schools are close, right? All of those are, you know, are considerably closer games now for them. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, you go ahead and move on. No, but you're exactly right. And that's good information for, you know, for the listeners to, to know and to, and to kind of think about, because I agree with you. McClellan was the first one that came to mind, you know, when the news broke and you start thinking about the, you know, the recruiting uh, impact, but, uh, but anyways, uh, to tight end again, you've got, okay. So you've technically got two scholarship tight ends committed and you've got a third committed um, that we're well aware about. Uh, right now, that that board, the only name on that board is Roger Saliapaga. Um, I don't see any reason to change that because if you end up with the two or three commits that you have now, 
Um, I think that that's probably plenty. I would, I would say if it was me and if I was Dan Lanning, you know, I would, I would push for Sally Apaga. If you get him great. And if you don't, it's not the end of the world. And I, and I would, I would see what kind of dips into the transfer portal, because I think that could be, you know, something where Oregon's very active at, uh, in this off season is tied in in the transfer portal, trying to find, you know, a, a little bit more experienced person to come in and help, um, behind Ferguson, assuming he goes to the NFL, which is very possible. Um, so anyways, that's kind of the board there at tight end. And again, Roger Saliapaga, I don't think the big, the big 10 really makes much difference. It moves the needle very much. Uh, I'm also told there while I'm talking about him, it doesn't sound like he's imminently making a decision. So, you know, no, no real reason to fret there. It sounds like a decision will come, you know, either sometime during his season or after this season. So, uh, moving along offensive line, the names I have listed on offensive line. Again, this was from a month ago. You got Brandon Baker, Preston Taumua, Isaiah Garcia, Eddie Pierre-Lewis, and Isendre Afua, Papa Afua. So uh, at the moment, you've got Brandon Baker, uh, you know, still considering Oregon among others. He's a four- or five-star recruit, depending on which website you look at. Um, that's a guy that's going to always have a spot at Oregon, in my opinion. You've got Eddie Pierre-Lewis, who was supposed to make it out for um, Saturday Night Live, but he did not. So you kind of wonder, you know, where Oregon's at with him. And then Papa Afua up in Seattle, you know, that's a, a guy that I've talked about before that, um, you know, Oregon has has kind of gone back and forth on and continues to evaluate. And I think at, given at this point in time, given that it's August, uh, you know, early to mid-August right now, you're probably going to want to watch his first couple games to make sure this is a guy you do want to move forward with or don't want to move forward with. So, I think that's kind of where Oregon's at with him specifically. Um, not a ton of work to do at offensive line. You've got four guys committed already. Um, signed a pretty pretty big class last year. Took several transfers that do have multiple years of eligibility if they want to use it. So you're in great shape, but you can continue to add to it, I guess, if you're Dan Lanning. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it feels like Baker's obviously the the biggest prize left on the board. You know. Eddie Pierre Lewis, is he still in? You might have mentioned him. I'm sorry. Is he still in play here? Yeah, still in play. Um, you know, st still in play right now. I don't know that, uh, you know, I don't know that. I don't know how hard Oregon is pushing. How about that? I, I get the sense that with EPL and Afua, Oregon's in, in kind of the same spot there. They're kind of wanting to wait and see, maybe get a couple games from them as they'll start up here in a few weeks and further evaluate them. But I could see a scenario. I could see a scenario if Brandon Baker, who hasn't committed to anything, but if Brandon Baker ended up making a decision in the next three or four weeks that Oregon takes him and they're done. You know what I mean? I, I, I could see that yeah. being the yeah. situation there. So Makes sense. All right, so let's move over to the defensive line. Which is, uh, you know, I think the position group that we'll see Dan Lanning always take huge numbers in every year no matter what they do. Um, a lot of names on there. You know, right now, currently, I have David Stone on there. I've got Elijah Rushing. Obviously, this was um, before his commitment was made to Arizona. But again, not to go all, you know, Husky website on anybody, but that's probably a guy I would say Oregon continues to push for. Um, and we'll see what happens with him over the coming months. I'm not saying a flip is imminent. I'm just saying Oregon's going to stick with him. Uh, Williams Nguyenary. That will make his decision, I believe, this coming weekend. 
visited Oregon for SNL. I said as much coming into the visit. I thought it was going to be tough for Oregon to crack that, you know, top three range. I thought they were outside of the top three. I'm not sure that they're inside of it at this point either. So, you know, continue to keep an eye on him. But uh, again, I'm not putting a lot of stock that he ends up as a duck. Aiden Breland, however, um, I do, you know, think Oregon has a legitimate shot with. Um, again, like Brandon Baker, teammates, but could be considering making a decision this month, but hasn't committed to anything. So, um, you know, that could be one that the Ducks end up reeling in before they start football in just a few weeks. Jericho Johnson, defensive lineman out of California. You know, I'm told that he'll end up taking official visits this fall and he's in no ru- real rush to make a decision. So, you know, keep his name on your list for now. Uh, Jordan Ross out of Alabama, you know, that's, uh, I can't remember, he's a five-star or a four-star, depending on which website you're looking at. That's an elite edge guy there. I believe, once again, Oregon will get him on campus for an official visit this fall because he wasn't ready to make a decision here in the summertime. So uh, last one from that defensive line group, which had had the most names, uh, Solomon Williams, three-star by virtually every uh, recruiting website, but has Alabama, Georgia, every major offer to his name. So I think most of us are expecting that to be a guy that moves up uh, in the rankings, and it is certainly a guy that Oregon has prioritized at defensive line. Yeah, obviously Breland. Breland's the big Breland's the big fish in this in this one. And obviously no no one area as well. Those are the two. Yeah. Well, and I, I think if you if you look at that group and you if you end up pulling Breland, you know, you've you've paired him with Tion Gray as an interior defensive lineman. Uh you look at a guy like Jericho Johnson who's a really good player out west. You could put him, you know, as an interior defensive lineman too. So you got Breland Johnson and Tion Gray. So you're looking really good there, right? So you know, at that point, Jordan Ross and, and Solomon Williams project to be more like edge defenders, um, you know, edge rushers. So both those guys fit a different need. So you could really, you know, with the names in that list, even if we don't talk about rushing at all, you know, a potential flip from Elijah rushing, you're in pretty good shape with some of these other guys. Um, you know, Ross is probably the longest shot of the guys I just mentioned right there. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what Solomon Williams does, but that could end up being another really good class. And and I don't know about you, but I think for myself, I considered last year's class, uh, defensive line class, one of the best and certainly one of the deepest that Oregon's ever signed. So you're you're starting to stack talent at that position group, which is which is pivotal for Oregon. Yeah, and Jericho Johnson is a guy who two of his other finalists are, uh, you know, USC and Washington. So, um, you know. Is that a case where you, you want to – I'm not saying he's not a great player, uh, you know, because he's obviously a very highly ranked player and very sought-after player, but he's also a guy where it, it for Oregon, it may be an embarrassment of riches to get to get him on top of the guys in the last class and this class and the other guys that are still on the board, but it also may be a play like, hey, if we get him, it also means those other schools that need him significantly more than we need him are also – we're, ta- we're taking him away from them, so – I would. I'm curious to see how that plays out. And he he he's officially visited Washington already. You know, in June, and, and he said he plans to to visit his other finalists, including USC and Oregon. I think Utah is the fourth finalist uh, this fall. So I, I'm interested to see how that one plays out. Especially you know if some of those guys, you know, on, on Oregon's board go elsewhere. Yeah, I I certainly think that you know that's something that kind of Mario Cristobal really taught us. Like you know, help your own class by hurting your opponents you know, in the same breath and and you kind of get the double dip and that's what Jericho Johnson feels like really, really good player, 
but almost more importantly is the fact that you keep him away from Washington and USC, who you will now obviously face in the Big Ten. <laughs> um, but yes, and then moving forward, linebacker, um, you know, probably the most discussed position, I'd say, in the last two weeks, you know, with Justin Williams committing to Georgia and that one being a big stinger. No doubt it was a stinger. Um, I, again, I won't, I won't phrase this as put him on flip watch, but I would, I would wager a large, large sum of money that Oregon will continue to recruit him. You know, will it produce anything? Who knows? But it's, you know, it's only August, so you continue recruiting him to December, and I'm certain Oregon will do that. Uh, the guy right now that I do have that's not committed left is Braden Platt, and you know that's the guy that Oregon loves, and and I wasn't sure at first that it was a guy that they prioritized, but, um, you know, sources had told me here in the last few months, even with Justin Williams still on the board, that they viewed him as a, a very high-profile guy and almost a must-get uh, type of player for them because of his ability and the way he fits in with the defense. He's a very athletic linebacker, um, and as we're learning and figuring out, that's something that uh, Dan Lanning certainly covets in his defense. So um, Braden Platt makes his decision in early September, a lot could happen between now and then, but it looks like it's Oregon and Oklahoma. He said as much that it's Oregon and Oklahoma. I think I have a, a very low confidence pick in there for Oregon um, from a couple months ago, but I do know that Oklahoma certainly has this thing really close. So this is by no means a, a done deal slam dunk, but that would be a really good get. And you start looking at that group and it's Dylan Williams, Kamar Matuti, and Braden Platt. Those are three really good linebackers, three really good linebackers. So, um, I wouldn't argue with, with you if you said Oregon could add one more, but at this point, I just don't think they've identified anybody that, you know, that they feel really helps um, this team out that they've maybe gotten reciprocated interest from. So um, again, yeah. they haven't added any new names, I guess so far as I'm going through this, Doug, I'm trying to think of, okay, what position groups, you know, have we seen new offers go out in what position groups, you know, showed up at Saturday Night Live that Oregon, you know, made new offers from. And just, I mean, going off of it, the next group that I talk about, defensive back, is the only one that comes to mind. So, uh, yeah, real quick before we go there, you know, the linebacker just like to me, you know, we, you know, and I said all along and we said this all along, like this was one of the most important positions. Not, not that every position every year isn't important. So let's put that caveat aside. For 2024 class, the linebacker class, was it was imperative to to get an infusion of talent in that class. And I feel like with Matuti and Dylan Williams, if that's the only two we signed, I'm gonna call this class the linebacker class, you know, an an A, A minus at worst, um, you know, B plus, whatever, you know, depending on your how hard of a grader you are, right? So I feel like we've 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 hit we've hit where we needed to hit. And and if you get add plat to that or you know some some you know, a crazy flip of, of Justin Williams down the road. Like, obviously that goes up to, you know, an even higher grade, but I feel very good with the, the two we got. I think we got two excellent uh, prospects and, and Braden Platt is a third. Then that's an A, that's an A plus class, you know, as far as like what you needed to do this cycle at that position. So I, I think Oregon and, uh, you know, coach, coach B Mike and, and Dan and Tosh and everyone else has done a great job recruiting that position this cycle. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree with you. And I think a lot of folks will continue to, you know, kind of bemoan about losing out on Justin Williams, which is, is a tough loss, but you can't let that negate the rest of the work they've done. You got Dylan Williams, Matuti, and potentially Braden Platt. That's a tremendous group. 
that's a tremendous group. Um, and then lastly, as I mentioned uh, just a second ago, defensive back, uh, you know, Oregon is, 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 has a little bit of room here, uh, you know, to work on, but not a lot. You know, of course, we've got the Juco DB, Sion Laulia, Laulia, who is probably going to make his decision in the month of August. And it's looking like Oregon um, or potentially Penn State. Those seem like the big two. I think USC's kind of hanging in there and, and should be considered a threat. But those are probably the big three. Um, you know, Oregon, of course, as we know, I don't have him on the list, but Dakota Fields made a visit to Oregon for Saturday Night Live. Of course, a ton of chatter about Oregon potentially flipping him. So that's a name to watch. I have Aaron Scott on this list, but he just committed to Ohio State, as we know. Um, and I have continued to list Peyton Woodyard uh, as a guy to watch at defensive back. I, I think that with K.J. Bolden going to Florida State, maybe that takes a bit of a hit um, for Oregon's chances. Not that the chances were ever great. But, you know, I think it's a guy that will end up visiting this fall. And as I mentioned, coming out of Saturday Night Live, one of the few, if not the, on if not the only, uh, 2024 offer Oregon made was to Elijah Gordon. Uh, kind of a, I'm going to call him a defensive back. He's got the size of a safety, but he says Oregon's recruiting him at corner, at least in our interview. So that was really the only new name to add which once I update the ultimate 25, I'm going to have a tough time coming up with 25 names, I think, but, uh, <laughs> but I'll get him listed on there. And, and that's kind of it in a nutshell. And maybe that doesn't sound like a lot of names, but you've got 20, you know, 2021 20, commits. How, how many, you know, how many guys yeah. do you really need to recruit? You know? Yeah. I mean, I think it feels to me like 26, 27 is probably where, you know, the, where you'd see this class ending up. So yeah, there's not, not that many more spots to go. All right. Thank you, Hop. I, I know that helps me. Hopefully it helps our listeners kind of reset the board a little bit. Uh, let's take one other quick uh, break for our sponsors here, and then we'll come back with some finishing thoughts. All right. And I'm back with Justin Hopkins from scoopdeck.com. Uh, Hop, let's, let's get a couple more quick topics here. Obviously, you know, football fall camp has started. Um, so that's kind of like, I'm excited with realignment behind us that, that I can start talking and we all can start talking. Obviously we're talking recruiting year round, but we actually now can start talking football again here pretty soon. Obviously the, our last episode we just put out with Hithliday and QB digging deep into the offensive side of the football. And hopefully our listeners have had a chance to enjoy that already. If not, you definitely want to check that out. But um, you know, fall camp started. We don't really have, there's no media access yet. Right. So we don't really have too much to report on yet, but I think it's worth noting that that, that will be coming and that camp is in full gear. And it seems like, there's very few injuries as of yet, which is great. Yeah, I guess I guess you got the biggest takeaway there. It sounds like two things. I mean, just from listening to Dan Lanning, and of course, you know, again, we're going to get a lot of coaches speak. I think he's I think he's pretty fairly direct and honest, but you know, you're going to have some coach speak there. But you know, to your point, yeah, it sounds like injuries have been minimal. It sounds like most of the guys are you know, maybe starting to feel those camp legs a little bit, but that's to be expected about this time uh, of, of fall camp. Um, and it sounds as though this team has maybe taken a, another step forward, you know, and that's another thing to take away. I know coaches are always going to say that, um, almost always, almost always are going to say that, but it sounds like this team's kind of gotten very physical and really kind of buying into the process that, that they want them to do. And I know, 
you know, when Mario Cristobal was here, you know, one of the things he preached often was, was process, right? Trust the process and guys buying into the process, but it certainly feels like it's, it's less talk and more action on that front here. And you got to love the fact that again, Bo Nix is back this year. So, you know, you've got some, um, you've got a, a veteran presence out there because I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, maybe towards a, the end of, of Cristobal's last year, there was maybe just not ha quite having that leadership on the field um, anywhere. And, and it certainly feels like you have that with Bo Nix on the offense and, and hopefully uh, some of the defensive guys have stepped up. I think that's something I'd heard about Brandon Dorless being, you know, relatively quiet guy, but has, has kind of come out of his shell a little bit this year on the defensive side. So those are all positives. And, and I know yourself, myself, everybody, you know, Jared will be there. Everybody's kind of excited, even if it's just 20 minutes or whatever, you know, getting those glimpses of practice and who's out there and who's in a boot or who's not there or whatever the case might be. Um, I know we're all ready to hear about those things coming up. Yeah. And then shoot, we're less than a month away from, from football, from, from actual games on the field, you know, sitting in Austin and, for Portland State, and uh, I'm, I'm making it's an early game, so I'm making breakfast at the tailgate before that. So I'm, I'm excited to tailgate, excited to get back out to Autzen and watch games on the field, and uh, yeah, can't wait. No, it, it's 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 quite crazy because of how two things. I, it's quite crazy because of how active Oregon was in recruiting in the spring and and what we'll call early summer. And then, of course, conference realignment talks. It it feels like we just went from spring ball right into football in a blink of an eye. You know, we had so much stuff to kind of keep us going and interested that it just, to me, and, and I do this every day for a living, to me it feels like, you know, you just kind of open your eyes because conference realignment's in the rear view. All of a sudden it's like, man, we're just a couple of weeks away from football, like real football games. So, yeah, super exciting. Uh, real quick, you know, one other thing, just maybe maybe some quick hit questions around. Uh, you know, obviously a year away, we got the twenty twenty three final swan song of the Pac twelve. But you know, as Oregon looks to enter into the to the Big Ten, I want to hit you with some some quick hitters uh, off the top of your head, kind of answers. So, uh, not it, let's just for all of these exclude the West four West Coast schools, right? So let's just talk about the the other fourteen that are already in the Big Ten conference. So. What is your favorite Big Ten team out of those 14? Oh, uh, I have not thought about that. The favorite, I don't, it's probably bad. <laughs> Whatever reason, no, I, I know. No, it's not a dumb question. I I have always, like, okay, I haven't always. I have, I have probably secretly kept an eye the most on Ohio State. Um, and here's the reasons why, because, First off, I'm not a huge Urban Meyer fan, but you couldn't help but watch when he was there, right? I mean, they were they were a tremendous football team, and then there was always some kind of controversy, and you know, so you always kind of watch there. And then, you know, Ryan Day being associated, kind of an aff affiliate of Chip Kelly, I've kind of always watched, you know, him being at Ohio State and his career. I am not a Harbaugh fan in the slightest, so Michigan <laughs> would be yeah. way down the list for me. Yeah, that was my I, next question. Least favorite. What's your least favorite? It would be that or or James Franklin at Penn State. I, I don't particularly care for the two. I, I, I uh that's just my opinion for various reasons. So um I respect those two schools. They have a ton of tradition, way more than Oregon, massive fan bases. Um 
perhaps if somebody else was at Michigan, I'd probably move them up my list. I just don't care for Har- Harbaugh. Never did when he was at Stanford. Haven't since. Um, yep. Think he, think he's as fake as a three dollar bill, but I think the same thing as as James Franklin. So, anyways, that's probably why I, I'm with had, you on Michigan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If they had different coaches in place, that'd probably change my mind. But what is the first road trip you're or the road trip you're looking forward to the most? Ironically enough, I'd probably say Michigan. <laughs> uh, going to Ann Arbor. I hate those guys, but I really want to go see them. I would love to see the stadium and just the tradition and being there. And, and I would, I respect the hell out of it. Um, so regardless of what I say about, you know, what I think about the team, I can, I can remove my hate and insert my respect. And, and I think, a, I think if you could potentially see Oregon and Michigan as, you know, two top 10 teams, two top five teams, I don't know, something around there, you know, it would be a heck of a place to go watch a football game. I know uh, fans just went to the horseshoe to watch, you know, the Ducks beat Ohio State and Columbus, but I'm sure they've got that circled again. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's Michigan for me because I was not able to go to that game uh, when Dixon yeah, was there. Yeah, I wasn't there. either. I wasn't either. I'd, I'd, I'd throw out, you know, Penn State, uh, particularly if it's a whiteout game, would be a phenomenal experience. Um, not so easy to get to, I, I hear. Um, Camp Randall and, and Wisconsin would be another kind of fun, underrated one. Well, that, yeah, I know, uh, you know, Andrew would love to get us out to watch Wisconsin out there. That's that's yeah. His yeah. And when that when that game gets announced, we'll plan the road trip together to the meet up in uh, Wisconsin for that one. OK, how about oh, uh, it's probably well, real, about, real how quick, about hang on, yeah. real quick. I would I would have to throw in Nebraska in there, too, because I know they go 100,000 strong and are absolutely fan, fanatical out there, too. Yeah, I mean, obviously Oregon was just out there in in 2016, but that's a season we'd all like to forget. So, so getting a, a do over on that would would the 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 five uh, two point conversion attempt game would would be good too. And at some point down the road, yeah, um, you know, another sneaky good one I hear is a really hostile environment is Iowa. Yeah, they're fanatical down there. Unfortunately, um, that means you'd have to watch Iowa on offense. Yeah, that is the downside <laughs> of it. Um, but the the excitement, I guess, of the crowd. I, I it's it'll be interesting seeing a crowd that gets so excited to watch punts. But <laughs> you know, I yeah. guess they do. Um, what about uh, Barry? Let's take the obvious answer of Rutgers out. What about you? Like the one you you just have no interest in going going to? I would probably say Michigan State. That would probably have to be the one on my list. Um. I don't know why it just doesn't seem like a nice area to visit, <laughs> which is ironic, you know, visiting uh, Ann Arbor. But yeah, Michigan State doesn't really do a lot for me, so I would, I would say, yeah, I don't know. Northwest Northwestern's probably a mess right now. I'd probably avoid that one too. <laughs> well, yeah, except for they they have a nice apparently they have a nice new stadium that's going to get built, so that might be oh, cool gotcha. to see. But um, I'd, I'd put Minnesota on my list, like uh, yeah. You know, especially if it's like a late in the year game, do I want to go to Minneapolis in late November to play a team, you know, row the boat team that is, you know, 500. I just, yeah, I'll just, that'll be one I'll, I'll stay at home for. And I know my friend Mitt is going to, going to give me some hate now. And I've been to Minnesota and I've been by the stadium. I wasn't there for a game, but yeah, it, um, yeah, kind of a, I don't have a lot of, of, of want to go back there and, 
I, I kind of forgot. I, I forgot that Indiana's in there and I've been to Indiana, Indiana and I swore I'd never go back. I'm sorry if you're from Indiana listening to this, but that's just how I feel about Indiana. So, <laughs> all right. One more question before we put a wrap up this episode. So uh, this was actually a topic that one of the, one of the readers put up on the board, I think yesterday, the day before on scoop deck about like big 10 uniform rankings. And um, I went in and wrote a, a, keep on ducking uh length dis- dissertation on every team i put i categorized every team into a, a bucket and wrote a little quip on each of them so um shout out kod by the way um so i, I i'm curious to get your take like who do you think has the best uniforms in the in the big 10 not counting the four west coast schools uh that's a tough question. I hadn't thought about that. I I would probably have to say Wisconsin, but maybe it's just because like, we've we've seen them so much in Ooh. the Rose Bowl. Okay. It's Michigan. It's got to be Michigan. No, I I get. I don't. Those are close. Yeah, Michigan would be close. It's definitely not Illinois. I know that because like, <laughs> I hate orange. and blue is. Or I'm sorry, orange and blue is not is not good. Right. It's not good. No. Yeah. Uh, no, I, yeah, I, I'm with, I'm with Michigan. I, I, I'm, I know I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, but let's flip it the other way around. Who's the worst, who has the worst uniforms? In, in it's Maryland by a mile. Yes. Without a doubt, Maryland's uniforms are the worst in all of college football. They're hideous. They're, they're, they're terrible. If it's I have a second, close. yeah, it's Penn State is my second. Okay. It looks yeah. like something that a 1950s high school team you know, bought off the rack at the, the true value hardware store and wore it to the game. Yeah. And I realized, yeah. I realized that that's their tradition and the whiteout and the white helmets and the, the plain looking uniforms. And I, I, but to me, if I look at, if you separate the school and the history and the tradition and all of that from the actual uniform yourself, and you just look at the uniform through the lens of if it was some other team wearing it, if Indiana was wearing that uniform, everyone would say Indiana has the worst uniforms in college football. But because it's Penn State, everyone loves them for some reason. And I just find them to be, like I said, I had better looking uniforms in Pee Wee football it's, in the it's 1980s. Amazing. As I say, it's amazing what tradition will buy you, right? I mean, because like you said, you know, you look at Penn State, um, you look at Notre Dame. You know, very plain, simple, nothing to them, and yet they get away with them because they're. But but Notre Dame has the gold helmet. I mean, and it's not and unlike unlike Washington and UCLA. It's not it's not tan. It's actual gold. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So yeah. at least they have that. But uh, nice. and and they they've also made attempts like oh, Notre Dame has alt alternate uniforms and they dress it up from time to they time do. to give it some splash. And I think that that they they marry their tradition with also like you know, getting out there and, and, and playing the uniform game a little bit. Penn State just fully embraces, we look like a team playing on black and white television. Yeah. No, you're, you're, you're exactly right. You're, you're exactly right. No. All right, Hop, any more thoughts before we uh, call this one good? No, no. I know you've done several and people are probably tired of, of, of hearing, hearing me. People hearing, start hearing, hearing me. That's what you're saying. Podcast. No. Yeah. So no great work. And, and yeah, that's all I have. Hopefully um, I think that, you know, uh, later this week or early next week, we can get back together and hopefully we'll have a little bit more to talk about with practices being open um, and some of this conference realignment stuff behind us. 
Yeah, definitely. And and for our listeners, the the second episode with Hithliday covering the defense with QB and Hithliday will come out uh, this next weekend or actually next Monday. So listen for that on Monday morning. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Hop, we'll have you back on right after that. I think we're trying to get to it back on our two two episodes per week, uh, you know, cadence, which we do during the football season. But I feel like we, we probably there's so much to talk about throughout the rest of August that, that we're probably going to get on that cadence a little bit early. And that's great for our listeners, uh, except for you, apparently. So apologies. But you only have to show up every three or four episodes. So you're good. Oh, oh perfect. <laughs> Thanks, Hop. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Doug.